The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Because the present form of this world is passing away. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I need first to bring you greetings from Terry, who would love to have been here, but she's at another church this morning, as you can well imagine. But she does send her love and her affection. Well, these lessons today are another set of lessons in the category of lessons I call, So What? Uh, There are a lot of them. Uh, And they're usually in that category because they're either too hard to deal with or because they seem to come from a culture so different from ours that we don't get them or because they seem to have so little to do with our lives that we like to just sort of listen to them and say, there, there, that is a wonderful and religious thing for Jesus and those crazy apostles. Or we just don't want to deal with them. So we pass them over uh, and find some way around them. And these really are, and in fact, scholars have had trouble with this one, because here is St. Paul telling us, And I don't know, when he says, let those who have wives live as though they had none, I think that's an invitation to disaster. (laughs) And I hope it works both ways. And I'm not sure where we go with that. But this gets serious. If, if, If you're mourning, act as if you weren't. If you're rejoicing, as if you weren't. If you have to buy things, act as if you had no possessions. And if you have to deal with the world, act as though you didn't, because it's all over. Well, there were people in history who really did all this. They were called ascetics, and it became the the basis of monasticism in the West, which during the whole Middle Ages is what made you a first-class Christian, because you really did this. You didn't have a husband or a wife. You didn't have possessions, and you lived a life of prayer separate from the heights of rejoicing and the depths of mourning. So, that makes it easy, doesn't it? We'll let the monks and the nuns do this for us. And that's exactly what they did. And the problem with Christianity in the West is that we lost any sense of what this kind of a lesson has to do with who we are in our lives. Because I don't know about you, but I have 
a wife that I would rather not live as if I didn't have. And I don't think she'd appreciate it if I did. And I do think that I need to mourn not only my own losses, but to mourn with those who mourn. And Paul himself, other places, says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. He was not consistent. Don't make Paul consistent. And therefore, you don't have to make me consistent or you consistent. Let's cut him some slack. But I also find that I, that I have to buy things in the world and have possessions because nobody's going to do that for me. And in fact, I do have to deal with the world. I can't just go off and pretend that these things don't exist. So what do I do with this kind of a lifestyle if I can't go off and become a monk or an ascetic and be sort of taken care of, even if it's just with my begging bowl, and what is even wrong with these things? That's what's interesting. There's nothing here which is bad. He's not saying give up your bad habits. He's saying give up. Find a different way to be in relationship with even those things which are good. And in fact, deeply human. And some apparently were able to do this when Jesus walked by. And what is that all about? Again, we say, well, of course, that's what happened in those days, that wonderful mythical time. These people are fishing and Jesus walks by and we've all seen the movies and they all get this sort of glassy look in their eyes and drop the nets and, and sort of float off after Jesus. Well, these were real people. Have you ever walked off glassy-eyed? Well, if you've been in love, you have. But that's maybe the point. What would so grab me? What would so throw me into love? What would so hold out to me the vision of something else that I really would act that way? Now, either that question has some kind of an answer for us, or this is just fairy tale. Ah, yes, that's what they used to do. Because, after all, they didn't have a whole lot, and they just had their boats and their nets, and, and besides, they were about to enter into, they were going to be in the gospel. They had to do something. But it's easy to do that. Well, I'll tell you a story from my own experience. I, myself, am not beyond holding on to things and putting my eggs in certain baskets. Terry and I are getting ready to build a house. And we've been planning and dreaming and imagining and even putting in a computer program which allows us to look, do walkthroughs. And we've, we've tweaked this and changed that and planned for this. And it sometimes in the past couple of years when, when things were rough at the, with the jobs, that was the great sort of vision. Ah, yes, but in three more years, two more years, one more year, we get to build our house. And then the recent unpleasantness with the, con the economy hit. And I'm sure it hit everybody. I'm sure there's no one in this room that has not seen the results of it. And for the first time, we started to ask ourselves the question, well, 
can we even afford to retire, much less build a house? And it really calls the question, how important is this? How important are any of the things that we lay our plans on, that we put our hopes in? So does that mean then that we can easily just say, oh, well, we won't do that. We'll do something else. Well, I have to confess to you, I can't do it that easily. I can't just switch gears that easily. I can't just act as if I had no more dealings with the world and that I didn't want to rejoice and that I was not married. I can't do it. But I'll tell you what happened when that event of the seeming loss of something comes up against the vision of that same thing. I found myself having to say, okay, well, wait a minute. What is it about that that's important anyway? Why do I care? And I started to realize that that this was not just a matter of putting up some bricks and mortar to be sheltered from the storm. That vision held for us and holds for us an image of a place for creativity, a place for Terry to make hundreds of more quilts, a place for a studio, a place to have peace, a place to cook, a place to bring in friends, a place to make a home for all the kids and the grandkids, a place to come together. All of a sudden, we started realizing that the values, the depth, the, the desire of this place had little to do with the design or the materials but with the holding of a vision of what was deepest and truest in our own hearts, it did, in fact, reveal to us who we are. And I'm old enough now not to make any excuses for that. That's simply the vision that we had, and I know now I can see what that was. All right. Maybe Paul was not so deluded Maybe Paul wasn't, as scholars try to make of this passage, just thinking that the end was already going to come. So he was saying, well, the end is here, so forget about everything. That's the way scholars dealt with this passage for years, by saying, well, Paul believed that the second coming of Jesus was imminent, and so therefore get rid of all the extra stuff that you don't need, including your wife, apparently. <laughs> But I think because he says live as if, he's not talking about a literal process. He's talking about the practice of imagining in my own mind and putting myself at least against the possibilities that this is something which will not happen and cannot happen. What if I couldn't build that house? What if what we thought and hoped and planned we could do, we can't do? What if I don't get to retire when I thought I was? What if I don't get the job I was looking for? What if the kids don't turn out the way I thought they would? What if, what if, what if I die someday 
Well, that's a pretty sure thing. And what this says is, don't miss the present because we have so completely gotten caught up in the details and the little processes that we don't see the wholeness, that we don't see the meaning, that we don't see the joy. Don't miss the joy because of the joy. Don't miss your wife because you're so busy worrying about your wife. Don't miss your husband. Don't miss your children. Don't miss the opportunities. Don't miss the hopes and the dreams because we're so busy worrying about how to get them and how to make them happen and how to make sure that my vision, because of course I have the only way it's going to happen. What if I were open to the possibilities and who here has not had to change their mind? And that, by the way, is what Jesus is saying in that passage when he says it's time to repent and believe the good news. The word repent in the Greek of the New Testament doesn't mean sit around and beat your, be- beat your breast and say, I'm a terrible person. It's not sackcloth and ashes. The word literally is metanoia, which means to go beyond your present thinking. Change your mind. Change your mind. Turn around. Wake up. Look. Look what's right in front of us. Maybe it's not what I expected and maybe I'll only see it if I let go of what I was holding on to. And I think the reason Jesus and Paul knew those things is because they were in the midst of a time that was like falling in love. You know, you'd do anything. It's the pearl of great price. It's the thing you'd sell everything for. For the sake of the beloved. That's the kind of image they're talking about. Live as if... Well, the Buddhists have a wonderful saying, when you discover the Dharma, you live as if your hair were on fire. When your hair's on fire, you don't sit around saying, well, gee, I wonder what I'll do next. I wonder what I should do and how I should do it. No, you just go put your hair out. Live as if your hair were on fire is what he's saying. Live as if this were really important, this moment, this moment. Not, oh, am I going to get over with this? And when's this sermon going to be over so I can get on to the next thing? And That's me, not you. <laughs> and if one lives that way, I think what Paul's saying, if we do that, then in fact, these very things, these wives and husbands, this mourning, this rejoicing, this buying and selling, this dealing with the world, in fact, become the doorways into our own deepest self. They're not to be gotten rid of because they're bad. They're to be stepped back from so I can see what they reveal about who I really am. Maybe I learn a lot about who I am and what I really want by looking at the very things that I'm holding on to. But I can only look at those things if I can drop back from them and not be so tight in my grasp. I don't even know what I'm holding now, but if I go like this, oh look, that's what's in my hands. That's what I'm holding on to. So for Terry and me, it really was in that moment of the fear of the loss of the thing which we were so attached to. All of a sudden, we're dropping back and saying, wait a minute. That wasn't about the house. It's about peace. It's about hospitality. It's about the children and the place of gathering. It's about 
Eucharist. It's about life. It's about spirit. It's even about the little tower we're going to build as a meditation room. It's about continuing the spiritual path. So the question then is, if we could never build that house, would those things still be important? Yes, they would. They would still be deeply who we are. And if we couldn't build that house, could we still move towards and expect to find those things? And the answer I say to you in faith is yes. Because I have never been disappointed in those things. Those are the things which cannot be taken away because they are deeply given to us and embedded in us by the very mind and heart of God. That's what it is to be human. And those things are always good and can always be pursued. It's only the means. So if you're on the boat, remember where the boat is going. And remember when the boat gets there to get out of the boat. And remember further when you get out of the boat not to pull the boat out of the water and carry it with you. That's what I think he's saying. Find the perspective. See where you're going and do what you need to do to let go of the grasping because it is always going to change. When the time is fulfilled and the fact that this world is passing away is not only an eschatological statement. It is a present statement. At this moment, the form of this world is passing away. It isn't what I expected. It will never be what I expected. It will always be the more, which is the one world that God calls me into. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.